We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. One thought about that, we, we love God's Word. And uh, it's good to have your Bible open because I want you to take God's Word for it. When I say things, I want you to only take them to the degree that you see them in that book, okay? Everything else get rid of. I feel the same way about words I say. If it's not in that book and doesn't unfold and unpack this book right here, God's holy word, then we leave it behind. Um, last week, for example, the words that we preached, the, wor- the words that came to us together, that some of you were like, well, I've, you know, that's, I haven't heard that before. What, what is going on here? When we come up against verses and truths that we haven't heard before, we have an opportunity. In that moment, the call is to be Bereans, be biblical people. Lean into those verses. Embrace them. Don't take my word for it. Let the word of God ring out in your, in your heart. And if you've never heard them before, it may be because the church that you grew up attending skipped more difficult verses like that. That's not how we roll. We love all the verses, and we want to preach and teach them all. And so I want to commend you for embracing the word of God, all the verses, and uh, Certainly, as we continue through the book of Romans, we're going to have moments that hit us where we're like, what? Wow, that's in my Bible. Okay, there it is. What do I do with that? How do I respond? So these are opportunities for us to be Bible people, Bible people. Let's ask the Lord's help as we study these incredible verses together this morning. Oh God, we thank you for your word. It is an authoritative word, a word that that comes to us unlike any other word, a word that you intended to be preached, proclaimed. And so, Father, I ask for your help. I, I pray that as I speak my words, your word would ring out and you would accomplish all your good pleasure in these people right here and those listening online. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your hand in these things to open our eyes and and stir our hearts to these truths and and cause our view of Jesus, our Savior, to, to be brighter and more glorious. And Lord, thinking of these verses, also our view of our amazing Father, the one whom we pray to even now. God, thank you for the way that you work in our lives. We thank you for your love. Open us now to receive that love in the form of your words to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, the title of the sermon is, If God is for us, who can be against us? We're in Romans 8, 31 to 34. I'm going to save 35 to 39 until after Christmas, and uh, we'll finish Romans 8 together uh, the week right after Christmas. But today, just these three verses here, and uh, I want to unpack that. Actually, it's 31, 32, th- that's four verses. Anyway, okay, four verses today. Let's look at this. Four points for four verses and four subpoints and four accusations. So make sure you take notes here as you move through. Everything's in fours today. Um, your father, point number one, is for you, not against you. Your father is for you, not against you. Why would we say this? Well, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, these words have a context. That's what we've, we've got to read them in the context. The flow continues, even though we've had you know, a break in between Sundays. The flow of these verses is important. So let me give you the flow, and then we'll come back to these words. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That is, God works all things together for good for those who love him and who are the called or called according to his purpose. And then the theological foundation of an epic promise like this. For those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom he foreloved, forechose, synonyms, he also predestined, he assigned a destiny. All of this took place in eternity past. The destiny was that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, his son, in order that Christ might be the firstborn or the preeminent one among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, that is all those whom he predestined, he also called. The call here is a call to life. He called to life those whom he chose and predestined. 
and those, all those he called to life, he also justified. That is declared righteous. It means every single person is saved. That, that begins the link of the chain. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That means everything, every single person who is saved is brought into final salvation, which is glorification. It's in the past tense because in the mind of God, it's as good as done. Here we go. Right out of this theology flows our verses. What then shall we say? Paul will often crescendo out of theology with, with worship and awe. Part of what I see him doing here is, is saying, in other words, let me, let me sum this up. Let me give it to you in, in summary form. If God is for you, who can be against you? <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's summing up what he's just said. It's saying, let me say it another way. If you have God and he is for you, you love him, you're his called ones, he's for you. Who can be against you? And the answer that he assumes is, we would collectively say, no one. No one. Hmm. The, these, these things pushes us farther back, though, than just verse 28. I think these things refers all the way to Romans 1, such that he's pulling in everything he's said to this point. Because we've got to ask the question, um, is God for everyone? Now, our culture would love to say that. Of course he is. He's the divine cheerleader that just is obsessed with us and he cheers on everything we do. That is not true according to Romans 1. According to Romans 1, the sea of humanity, that is all of us by instinct, will, and volition, we, choice, we, we rebel against him. And we are not experiencing him for us. We're experiencing his wrath. Wave after wave of wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth of God and his lordship and his divine right to be worshiped and honored and given thanks, but instead we rebel and we rail against him. So is God for me in that, like the song on the radio says many, 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 many times? He's for you, he's for you, he's for you. I am uncomfortable with a song that just generically says that because frankly, it's not true. God is not just for everybody. In fact, he is against far more than people would realize. If you make God your enemy, he is not for you in that. He is your enemy. And he will oppose all of your rebellion and your sin and he will store up that wrath that you have railed against him with and someday he will pour it out on you in the fires of hell. If God is for us, we have to ask the question, who is the us? Who is we? What shall we say then? And the answer is, it's the called. It's the elect. It's the ones who love God. It's those who, who see him with eyes opened by him, who love him with hearts changed by him. And this is the difference. If that is true of you, he's for you. He is no longer your enemy. Romans 1 through 8 in view. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Line number one from the enemy. Satan himself and his cohort, cohort they, they want you to believe this, this lie, this falsehood. Sometimes it will whisper into your mind. Sometimes it will echo from your sin. God is not for you. You don't have a father who loves you, he's against you. He is always displeased with you. He's even angry at you. And most of the time, he just tries to hold back to keep from squashing you and obliterating you because you're so awful. You're so little. You're so insignificant. You're so frail. You're so weak. You're so fill in the blank. What do you hear? The lie. The lie. He's not for this tracks back to Genesis 3, doesn't it? Temptation in the garden. Is God really good? Did he really say that? Is he holding back? Hmm. Some of you have grown up in homes where your father figure is less than exemplary. 
to put it slightly. I, I would just say I've talked with some of you and I know that your dads, some of you carry around the weight of a terrible experience with a human father. Some don't even know their father. Like, I wish I even had a memory of my father, good or bad. I have nothing. And the challenge in these things is that we've got to We've got to allow the Word of God to create reality in our minds of a Father in heaven who is far, far better than any earthly father on this earth. I mean, even a good father is a sinner, right? Your Father is for you, Christian. Since therefore we have been justified by faith, That is the very faith that God gave us when He saved us and called us to life. He he gives us the faith. We employ it. We believe. We choose. And we are justified, declared righteous. And in that moment, it says we have, not we will have, but we have it already in full. Peace with God. That is God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. We are no longer at war. Remember Romans 5. We covered this. This is so important to have in view. He's for you because He is no longer your foe. He's a father. He's no longer the wrath giver. He's not up there displeased constantly, frowning constantly, trying to find a way to make your life miserable. No. He loves you. Christian, He loves you. He's smiling. Even in His discipline, He's for you. Even in the rod of correction, firm and and swift as it may be, He in that loves you. He's for you. Listen to Piper pointing back to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God is entirely for us, that is, believers, and never against us. He's never against us. None of our sickness is a judgment from a condemning judge. None of our marital strife is a sign of His wrath. None of our lost jobs is a penalty of wrath. None of our wayward children is a crack of the whip of God's retribution. If we are in Christ, no, God is for us, not against us. He is in and through all things for us, both when things are wonderful and easy and when things hurt and they're painful. You might just have to rehearse this, Christian, when it's hard, when you're struggling. Say this truth. My Father is for me. He's for me. He's not against me. He loves me. He's for me. How many people walk out the door as soon as the pain comes, as soon as the trial comes, and they say, I thought you loved me. For the Christian, that is simply not a response that is consistent with what is true. He does love you. He's for you even when it hurts. What is he doing in your life above all else? Making you holy. How does He make you holy? He refines you. The furnace of affliction can be employed by God to make you holy in a way that ease and comfort never would. Only God can do this. He's able. In fact, I look back in my own life and I say the times I grew the most were the most difficult, painful, challenging moments where He was close to me. And I held him with all the little strength I had left. Hold me, Lord. Help me here. I need you. Massive growth happens there. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this is a fascinating way to say it. Because, honestly, I'm pretty sure we can come up with a list. Well, uh, let's start with pretty much everybody who doesn't love Jesus who is his enemy, who rails against him, the godless culture that we shine in that hates the light that we shine. It's not hard to come up with a list of who is against us, not just could be. 
We have a long list. In fact, this passage will go on to describe tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. These are things that Christians have met and meet today all over this earth. Because they are Christians. So, Let's dispense with the idea this whatever prosperity gospel would promise that you can just come to Jesus and the world is just going to applaud everything you do. Man, good job. You're loving Jesus. It's going to be awesome for you. Everyone's excited and they love you, right? Well, tell that to the spouse that has no love for Jesus. When you say, he matters more than anyone to me, I will follow him. I will obey him no matter what and I'm praying for you to be saved. Is there friction in that relationship? Or or the the dad whose child says of of him, what's wrong with you, dad? You're into Jesus. You're, You're following Jesus. What's wrong with you? Why can't you be normal like the rest of us? And turns their back on Christ and stiff, stiff arms you. I'm sick of this Jesus stuff. Who can be against us? A lot of people, even loved ones that we care about, can be against us. As it is written, just a few verses from here, for your sake, Father, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, do you feel the reality that that is around the world even now? Persecution? The press doesn't like to cover this, but it's happening, friends. And it will get far worse as the end draws near. How many Christians will be beheaded for their love for Jesus? Uncompromising in their faithfulness to Christ. A massive number at the end. Jesus said they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. For the glory of my name, you will be hated. Wow. Hmm. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When you choose to obey the Lord instead of cheat at work, or do what your boss tells you to do, you know, take this and go under the table with it. No, I can't, I can't do that. I have a king. He sees everything. I honor him above all others. That includes bosses. That includes spouses. That includes children. That includes neighbors. I will love him with all my heart. Get in line, those who oppose that. It's not hard to fill in the list of who. Who is against us? The line is long. So what's he saying? He's saying that ultimately... Because God is who He is, no one can stand against us. There is no one who can be against us in any way that will cause us loss. God is working for our good, even over and above all who are against us. It reminds me of this, uh, this question. Do you, do you know who my dad is? Do you, do you realize who my dad is? I mean, on a playground when I was just a little guy, you know, hearing this conversation, well, well, my dad could beat up your dad, right? The appeal is, don't mess with me, because if you knew who my dad is, you would think twice. Now, put that into reality for the Christian life. The reality, Christian, is that your father is the almighty God the sovereign ruler of the ages. Who stands against him? (laughs) Whoever has succeeded against him. And he's for me. I'm I'm in his protection, his care, his watch. Not a finger will land against me. But for his plan, for my good and his glory. It points us back to 28. For those who love God, all things, He's working all things, even the long line of those who are against us, fall as part of His plan to make us holy, 
and to glorify His Son, Jesus. Hmm. So be encouraged, Christian. God's on your team. He, he's your dad. You have a father who is limitless in power and love, and he's for you. He's for you today. Point number two. Point number one, your father is for you, Christian, not against you. Number two, your father is a lavish giver. He's a lavish giver. I love that we're at Christmas. Giving is such a deeply rooted part of the Christmas uh, practice that we do. We give good gifts. Why? Why do we do this? Because God, our Father, gave the greatest gift. Every gift we give is a pointer to the gift He gave. You realize that's why we do it, at least for Christians. Redeem gift giving. That's the point. We're, We're an echo of His grace and giving. He is the lavish giver, and so we give gifts. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, undeservedly for us, give us all things? Wow. A few thoughts here. He did not spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. What does that call to mind? Any story in the Old Testament come to mind? Abraham and Isaac, right? Immediately, we're back there in Genesis where Abraham is called by God to take the son he has waited for his whole life, the son of the promise, the covenant son. Take him up to where the Dome of the Rock stands right now. On that rock, bind him. By the way, Isaac was willingly bound. His dad was old, man. He could have taken him out. But he allowed his dad to bind him on the altar And then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, Abraham would have wrestled with this because God is not a God of child sacrifice like the pagan nations were, right? He never called his people to do what the pagans were doing. And yet, in faith, Abraham said, I'm trusting you, God. I'm going to trust you. I know that everything hinges on this son, and he is here. Totally miraculous birth. He is here. So I believe even if I plunge this knife into his heart and he dies, you can raise him because he is the son of the covenant, the promise. So the knife was in the air, extended up just before it was plunged into his only son, the son whom Abraham loved. God stopped him and a voice called out, no, don't do it. I have provided for you a lamb. A sacrifice and in the in the thicket was caught a ram by his horns and so in place of Isaac the son the true son the only son there was given a sacrifice what is this all about you ever wondered what, what why why did he do this it's always about Jesus it was always about Christ this is a gospel foreshadowing so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What is it? The Son. The Son. The sacrifice. The Lamb. It all comes together in Jesus Christ who was on that mountain crucified. He gave. He didn't withhold His only Son. He held back from taking Abraham's son but he gave the father gave his son it said he he gave him to be delivered up or given this is this is cross in view not just manger cross crucified that was the plan he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up or gave him up for us all now let's be clear here who's the all It's the same as the us, the same as the we. We're talking about believers here. All, those who have been chosen. He gave His Son for His bride. If He did this, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? This is an amazing line of logic that Paul, through uh, inspiration, the Lord wants to push to us If God loved us with such a lavish gift as this, 
Do you think he's going to hold back? It's an argument from greater to lesser. Why would God hold back today on smaller things if he did not hold back on the most precious thing to him, his son, whom he gave up, delivered up for us? Oh, but Satan, he doesn't want you to believe that. Satan wants you to think that you have a stingy father in heaven. That your dad just doesn't want to give anything else. Fine, okay, I gave my only son. That's all you get. You don't deserve more. Well, it's actually true, isn't it? We didn't deserve that. Is God our Father holding out on us? Do you hear the echo of the garden here in Genesis 3? Oh, well, he gave you all the trees, but he did keep this tree. Why, why can't you have this tree? Is God stingy? Is God holding back on you? Well, he knows that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open, right? You'll be like him. You hear the enemy? He's not, it's just the same Satan. He does the same stuff in our day that he did back then. He's not going to help you. You're on your own. God just saves you and then, boom, kicks you out. Go figure it out from here. Hope it works out. And he's back and distant, and some people think of the Father as somehow some, some cold, separate, distant God who's just over there, and, and every now and then he lightning bolts a few people, and that's all he does. No, that's not what the Bible reveals about your Father. He's for you, and he is a lavish giver. Today he is blessing you, pouring out, giving to you from the very throne room of heaven. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Do you feel the disposition of the heavenly Father toward you, Christian? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And then down a couple verses. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about the little things of life. God is going to take care of His children. He will provide. Now, it's important that we address around this time of year, God knows what is good for us. Right? He's working for our good. And sometimes we have in our minds, well, Good would be this brand new, big, flashy, fancy toy here, or this bigger, this faster, this newer, this better. And, and, and we can turn God into a genie really, really quickly. If we're not careful, we begin to treat God as if He is some Santa Claus in the sky. God is for you being holy. And he will not withhold an ounce of what will bring that to pass in your life. He also just loves to bless. He loves to give good gifts. And sometimes you see as you look back over the top, right? When David said, my cup runs over. It's not that he just fills it up. It's lavish giving that he gives. For our best good, that he knows, and sometimes we don't always. Hmm. He's a good, lavish giver. Number three, your father is the righteous justifier. He is the righteous justifier, not, not anyone else. There, there's no other one that justifies. It's only God who justifies. Listen to how he says it. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So we're talking clearly about His chosen, 
His elected ones, those whom He foreknew, those whom He assigned to destiny and called to life and justified. He, he is the one that justifies these people. No one else. Why is that comforting? Why is it comforting? Well, because we have accusations that come from all over the place. We have accusations, certainly, I think foremost in view is Satan here. Our accuser, the accuser of the brethren. He is nonstop throwing accusations in front of the Father. You see this one? He carries your name. Look at what he did. Hypocrite. Failure. Sinner. You have false teachers who come against you, especially the legalism type. Oh, we've dealt with legalism in the past. It's ugly. It's ugly. It comes off all high and mighty and righteous, but it is poison to the core. Well, you're not keeping my list, and I'm keeping it, so I'm righteous, and you're not. You're less. I don't approve. How about prosperity gospel preachers who say God just wants you to be blessed, and He wants to make you rich and, and smiley and, and happy and everything awesome in your life, and all of a sudden you're like, well, my life is falling apart. And you know what they say? That's your fault. That's your fault. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's not the gospel, friends. How about closer to home? What about other Christians? Right or wrong? Let's just, let's just play it out. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Right? That's love. That's love. That's what we're called to do constantly for, for one another. We're, we're called to, to love one another and address sin. When, when we're offended or sinned against, we just say, hey, listen, brother, you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe you didn't even know this, but when you said this, it was really hurtful to me. Or when you responded this way, when you did this or didn't do this, I, I feel like I was wrong. And I just want you to know, I, I want to make sure that we're together on this. So let's talk. All of a sudden, dude, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't even know. I feel so bad. Will you forgive me for that? Yes, man. Hug it out. Boom. Move forward. That's what we do. That's life. That's what we live here. Normal, everyday life. But what if, what if it's another step up? Bring a witness. What if they don't listen? Well, you, you're being loved. You, you have other, what if you go all the way up? How do we respond to accusations of sin in our life? Friends, if we don't have the gospel, we have nowhere to go with that. And guess where we end up? Condemnation. We carry the weight all over again and we have to self-atone and we have to try to be good enough. That is not the Christian life. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Bring it on. Bring it on. I embrace it. Even when my conscience condemns me. You ever been here from a past sin you've committed? It just haunts you. It's, oh, I can't believe I did that. And I know God forgives me, but man, that was terrible. I feel condemned. What do you do with that? It's the same thing you do when Satan accuses. I have a long list of accusations against you, Satan says. I I have seen the things you've done. You, are constant, you constantly fail at righteousness. This is who you are. You are weak. You are sinful. You are still condemned. These are lies from the pit, but they're not all untrue, are they? The lie is you're still condemned, but if you're a Christian, that's not true. The truth might be, I have a long list of sins against you. <laughs> Listen to how John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress when Apollyon was coming at Pilgrim. His response is this, all is true and much, much which you have left out. <laughs> but, but, the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. And there is a promise in my Bible, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he 
is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have groaned under these sins. Don't get me wrong. I'm not playing light with my sin. I have grieved over these sins. I'm so sorry for what I have done. But the difference between guilt and condemnation is this. I have obtained pardon from Jesus, my prince. I am forgiven. You were not meant to carry your guilt, your condemnation. You are meant to take it to the cross and leave it with Jesus who filled up the wrath and paid it in full. It is completely dealt with at the cross. When your conscience condemns you, breathe the air of the gospel. Call that sin what it is, lay it at his feet, and you are free, Christian. You are free. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin, not just some of my sins, all of my sins. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just, God the just, you see this? He is the one who justifies the elect. He is satisfied to look on Jesus, the Son, and to pardon me. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Don't ever downplay your sin. Christians never find any value in that. Don't ever downplay your offenses against God. Call it what it is and run it to the cross where provision has been made. Every single sin you've ever committed, paid for in full. This is the everyday gospel, I call it. This is what we do. This is our vocation as Christians because guess what? We still sin. We are weak and frail. We have the echo of Genesis 3 in us. It still echoes out in our responses and in our flesh. It's, it's there. We battle. And when we fail, we gospel. We gospel. That's where faith happens. If you are stuck in condemnation, place your faith not in you, in Jesus and what he's done. And you will be free. Number four, your king redeemed and defends you. Your king redeemed and defends you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. These are amazing words. I just have to say the connection here. Who is to condemn? What could have Paul kind of written as the next words there? He could have said, listen, you don't have to worry about condemnation. You have faith. Or, you, you, it, you know, you are walking with God. You have Him. His emphasis is not us, is it? Look at the very focal point that He wants to drive us to. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. It's not what we did. That's his point. Don't find your confidence in things that you have done to try to earn your way. It's never that for the Christian. It's always about Jesus, work that he has done. So four things. Christ Jesus, number one, willingly died in my place. I add the word willing, willingly here because we know Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up. This is my mission that has been assigned me by the Father. I do this. I'm not being coerced. I'm not being strong-armed. He set his face to go to Jerusalem and to die. And that's exactly what he did. <clears throat> that was the plan of old from before the foundations. No one could deter him from this. This was the wrath-satisfying payment that God ordained would be the basis upon which we could be forgiven. It was the victory that no one saw coming. It was the plan of old, prophesied. Listen to these verses. Ephesians 5, you want, you want to know how Jesus loves you? How Jesus has shown his love for you? Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved. This is the expression of his love. As Christ loved who? Who? His bride, the church, the chosen, the elect. This is, this is his love displayed. Even as I mentioned this last week, what all took place here on the cross. Here, let these words build out. Christ loved the church, and what did he do? He gave himself up for her, for her, for his bride. What's the goal? Holiness, predestination. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself. Here comes the wedding imagery here. The bride is wearing a dress that is in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's what Jesus has accomplished for you in love. That is what he is doing as he works in you through his spirit and his word right now, sanctifying you, taking the the dress, as it were, and dealing with the dirt and the stains, washing you with the word of his truth. This is the love of Christ for you. Number two, Christ Jesus rose again in victory. He rose again in victory. This is so important to know this. Ultimately, our hope is not just found in the fact that he died. It's that he rose. If he had only died, the question would linger, is the father satisfied with his death? Was it enough? I mean, did he suffer to the end to satisfy all of the sins I have committed or will ever commit? The answer is found in the empty tomb. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was as if the Father proclaimed throughout all generations, I am satisfied. My wrath is appeased. I can now forgive, forgive, forgive. It's all based on this. And it's perfect and complete. Every sin has been paid for. For those who believe in Christ. Christ Jesus rose from the dead. The the, the proclamation of Easter is atonement accepted. He, that is the Father, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. He triumphs over Pilate and um, add in their uh, Herod, right? And, and the Jewish leaders, the, the authorities of that day, and, and all who chanted crucify, and, and all sinners, right? He triumphs over all of them, but especially Satan and the cohort. His victory disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's when they lost their teeth. Oh, that dog can gnaw at you. He can come at you, but he can't bite you anymore because atonement has been made and he has been disarmed. Christ Jesus also sits at the right hand of the Father. I added this word because we know this is true from many other passages. It's not that he is simply at the right hand of the Father, which is so significant. It's that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen to this from Hebrews 1.3. After making purification for sins, He, that is Jesus, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know why this is such a big deal? In the temple, there was no chair for the priest to sit. Have you noticed that? From all of the things that are in the temple, no chair. It's because the work of the priests was never complete. It wasn't wasn't done. Every day, sacrifice, more blood, sacrifice, more sin. Keep going. Jesus is seated. You know what that means? The work is done. No more atonement is needed for all who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Atonement complete. Number four, Jesus intercedes for me daily. This really landed on me this week. I was struck by this. So often we look at what he has done. We look at history. We look at the accomplishments that have been made. 
And we forget what he is doing today. Like right now, as I preach these words, Jesus is interceding for you, Christian. Line number four, you are nothing before me, Satan says. You have no defense against me. You stand on your own. You're alone. You're powerless. You can't beat me, right? And, and you know what? He's true with that. We can't overpower him on our own. We are lost against an enemy like him if left to ourselves. But we are not on our own. We don't stand alone. We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney who is in the courtroom seated next to the judge giving defense daily for us on our behalf, interceding on our behalf. There is one God and there is one mediator, that should be capital M, between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. It's not Mary, let's be clear. It is not the Virgin Mary. It is not the saints. And it certainly isn't the priest or the pope. One mediator. That's how it's always been. That's the plan of old, and that is how it is today. He is the one who speaks on your behalf in the courtroom of heaven. John says, if anyone does sin, and we're all like, yep, that's me. All hands go up at that point. We do sin. When that takes place, we have an advocate. He's on our team. Our defense attorney begins to speak at that point. When Satan starts to accuse and say, see, see, look at he failed again. Look at that sin. Look at that. Jesus speaks up. Yes, I see it. I paid for that too. I died for that. I bled for that. It's paid for. He's forgiven. He's forgiven. He's forgiven. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our daily defense. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That is Jesus, the Son of God. I love how these come together in the, that, that title. Let us hold fast to our confession. Cling to that faith, that confidence. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. <laughs> so when we're down here and we're praying, we're saying, Lord, it's hard. You wouldn't understand. Not true. Jesus is like, I know exactly what you're going through. I know what it's like to feel the, 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 the weight of a weakened flesh. I know how hard it is, but I'm here for you. I died for you. I'm here interceding. I'm praying for you, strengthening you. How should we respond to this reality? Well, it should embolden us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Run to the throne. Don't ever be timid, friends. Don't ever hold back. Oh, I don't know. I think the Father is just so sick of me coming before Him again with my failures and weakness and sin. Oh, no. It's not like that. The Father loves when you run into His presence with confidence. Why? Not in us, but in the finished work of Christ. Run in and find mercy. He is going to lavish it upon you. Run to Him, even with your, your sin, your weakness, your brokenness, your, your failures. He loves you. And Jesus is there to intercede on your behalf. Christ's love is shown not only in what He has done already, but in what He is doing for us every day. That, that is epic. We have the Holy Spirit who prays for us with groanings too deep for words. He's interceding right now. We have the Son who is interceding for us before the Father. <laughs> who can stand against us? It's truly amazing. Response this morning. I just want to ask the question, uh, what is your view of your heavenly Father? 
have you struggled with the echo of a failed earthly father experience? Do you struggle with the sins of your father, the, the frailties of his life, the absence of his fathering even? Do you know, Christian, that your father is for you today? Be encouraged. If you love God, you have been called according to his purpose. If you have embraced Christ as your king, you are his elect and no one can bring a charge against you. He is your defense. He is your, 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 your redemption. And so we can say this with confidence. Friends, Christians, believers, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? I just have to ask the question, though, before I pray. Is God for you? Is God for you? The way you can tell whether he's for you or against you is by your relationship with his son, Jesus. Are you indifferent to his son? Do you care nothing for Jesus, his son, the one that died to pay for sins? Have you responded to his son? Have you embraced him as Savior and Lord and treasure in this life? If you have, then God is for you, not against you. You are forgiven because of what Christ has done. If you haven't, then I plead with you today, do so. Do so. Run to him. Love him with all your heart. Let him be the sovereign in your life. Bow before him and embrace him. Turn from your sins and trust Jesus as Lord. And you will have a Father in heaven who is for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing grace you show us, the sinners, the haters, the rebels. We don't deserve this. It's grace upon grace. Thank you for your love of us that you chose to set upon us willingly, freely. Thank you for the love that you showed us in giving your Son up, delivering him up to die in our place. Thank you for the victory of an empty tomb. Thank you for the, the seat that is next to you, Father, where our King reigns and intercedes on our behalf. We thank you that you are for us, that you are on our team, as it were. You are, you are not trying to make us miserable. You are, you are not against us, fighting us. You're for us. I pray that we would live this week, Lord, with the joy of that reality, that there would be nothing that would ever cause us, even the pain of life, the trials, the, the situations that would befall us, may nothing ever shake our confidence that you are for us, even when we hurt, even when we experience loss. May we cling to that, knowing that ultimately nothing can separate us from your love, nothing. We praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name, amen.